My wife was getting upset with the drafts coming through the doors. Jeff Levering called Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Everybody on your staff has done a great job. Get 0% for up to four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. A lot of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. Now, this has been, if you're a Marquette uh, basketball fan, it's been kind of just a, a really, really super season. Team still ranked sixth in the country. They won the Big East Championship outright for the first time in their history. Um, they're going to do very well, I think, in the Big East Tournament. And they're looking at a, a number two or a number three seed in the NCAA Tournament. UWM has had a very, very strong season. The Wisconsin Badgers, um, probably one of the bubble teams for the w, for the uh, NCAA Tournament. But they, they, they've still got a chance. Well, down in Texas... There's a school that's not had such a great year, and that is Texas Tech. Now, last year, Texas Tech replaced its coach, hired a guy named Mark Adams, and Mark Adams took Texas Tech in its first his first year as a coach. He took them to the NCAA Sweet 16, very very successful. They had a number of players, at least a handful of players, who transferred. Um, from the program, as happens a lot nowadays, and this year's team ha- hasn't been a- as good. Um, they they lost a bunch of games to start off the the basketball the the conference basketball season. They're around a 500 team, and the the betting is they're probably not going to get into the NCAA tournament. So the team has not done as well as they did last year. When they hired this coach, Mark Adams, they gave him a five-year contract and paid him just a boatload of money. So, okay, why are we talking about Mark Adams and the Texas Tech basketball program? He has now been suspended by Texas Tech for making what is described as a racially insensitive comment to one of his basketball players. And the school has now publicly apologized. Mark Adams is not apologizing. Here's the circumstances behind the story. And apparently what what happens is, keep in mind, when you're a college basketball coach, you've got a number of different obligations. Obviously, you want to win, right? That's, That's true. But on the college level... You are also trying to, I don't know, mold character and things like that. You're you're a teacher as well as as a coach, and you could argue that you know maybe you're much more of a coach than you are a teacher. But you know, I think if you talk to anybody who has played athletics, you know, competitive athletics at the high school level or the college level, you know, they'll they'll tell you that whether it's the coach or the assistant coach, a lot of times they help people try to deal with issues related to life, their their life. Well, Mark Adams is also a very, very religious guy. So what happens is he sits down with one of his basketball players, and the name of the basketball player hasn't been disclosed, and they haven't formally said what the race of the basketball player is, but I'm I am assuming from the comments that it was black, but, but they haven't said, but I assume that he's talking to a black basketball player. Okay, so he's... 
the, the background of the conversation is apparently that the basketball coach, Mark Adams, is trying to get the point across to this particular player that the player needs to be more coachable, that the player needs to listen more to the coaches and pay more attention and essentially do what he's told. That's, that's, that's kind of the background on this. He's telling him, look, this is, this is what you've got to do. If you're going to get to that next level, you, you have to listen more. And he said, look, I, I'm talking about, and he said, my, my background is that I'm, I'm trying to explain to him that we all, as we go through life, we all have people we report to. We all have bosses. We all are, you know, we have, we have things that we're going to have to follow. And then he says, okay, to make that point, I, I, I was quoting scripture. And I, I said it was a private conversation about coaching and how when you have a job, you you have to be coachable. And he says, I said that in the Bible, Jesus talks about how we all have bosses and all of us are servants. I was quoting the Bible about that. And so it's a little bit unclear, but I think the what, what he was referring to, and again, he's a religious guy, he's quoting scripture, and I think he was referring to Ephesians 6, which is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesians. And here's here's what the original version says, although I don't think this is what he said to the player. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who has met both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I, I, so in the original Bible verse, they use the word slaves. I think, though, in the more modern interpretations of this, it's servants. And I, I think what he actually said was servants instead of slaves. But, you know, he's, again, using the, the context is... Again, this is this is what Jesus talked about, how, you know, servants, you know, obey your masters uh, and masters treat your servants well, because we're, we're all going to be servants of the Lord at the end. So what he's trying to say is, look, I want you, you, you got to understand, you know, when you go through life, you got to be coachable, you got to follow rules. We all we all follow this. OK, so that's what he, he said. Now, of course, whenever you're talking about servants and slaves, People get extremely sensitive. But, you know, he, he's citing this, this biblical quotation, and he's giving the context for this. Well, apparently, the, the basketball player tells one of the coaches, gee, this is what the coach said to me, and I don't really feel comfortable about it. And then the word gets up to the Texas Tech athletic director, and they've now suspended the coach for using this biblical reference. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Now, obviously, what he got him in trouble is, you know, he, he used the reference. I, I think he probably said servants, but he used the biblical reference to try to make the point that we all have to be, we are all servants in one sense or another, and we should all obey. That, that was the context. So my question is, in that context, 
Is this something that he should be suspended and or fired for? He didn't say, okay, kid, you are a slave, and I expect, you know, to treat me like your master. He said, hey, we, we all, you know, we, we are all servants, essentially, and what we have to do is we have to listen. 855-616-1620 is the reference to servant is, and the biblical reference, understanding the point he was trying to make. Should that cost him his job? 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, so that, that's the, the background of this. The, the college basketball coach talking to a college student is trying to make the point that you need to be more coachable, that you, you need to listen more to the, the coaches, etc. And then he uses this, this biblical reference that talks about how servants need to, you know, obey their masters and masters need to treat their servants well because at the end we're all servants of the Lord. That, that's, that's the phrase. The kid apparently becomes uncomfortable with that, tells the, uh, the athletic director, and now they have suspended the coach. 855-616-1620. Once, once you understand the context of this, all right, is it reasonable to say to, oh, this had to be racist, this had to be insensitive, to use a biblical reference to try to make the point that the guy was making, and the biblical reference happens to refer to servants and, and masters. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Um, Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. I I happen to agree uh, with you, Jeff. I'm I'm so fed up with uh, political correctness and all this woke stuff. And uh, when I heard you tell this story right now, I the first thing that came to my mind was I believe that uh, the athletic director he should be the one suspended for being intolerable. Period. Well, Jim, thanks for the call. I, I guess see when when I I was curious about this story because the headline. Again, first direct him attention. Texas Tech coach Mark Adams suspended for racially insensitive comment to a player. Okay, so then, then it was like, all right, well, what, what is the, I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, here's a guy who's been, spent his career as a college basketball coach. You know, what, what, what racially insensitive comment would he have made at 66 years old at the age of 66? So I, I was really curious as to this. Well, then you get into it and they say, well, like he, he was making a biblical reference. Okay, now, so making a biblical reference is going to get you suspended for being racially insensitive. So now I'm intrigued. And then you find out what, what this is. And I guess that, that's kind of my, my take on this as well. If, if the kid comes in and says, gee, I, I was uncomfortable with this, I, I think it's fair to say, all right, we're, we're going we're gonna to investigate. What, what was the circumstance behind this? Oh, he's telling you you have to be more coachable, and he is making this reference to you know, the, the Bible. And again, we, we've explained the context of the Bible. Okay, I, I think once you find that out, the, the reaction is, all right, maybe everybody needs to dial this back down a, a little bit because what he's really trying to say is, look, you've got to listen. You know, we all 
We all have people that we have to listen to. And, of course, he's religious, so he's taking it that next step and saying at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're all we're all going to be listening to the to the big guy upstairs. And if, if the religious reference makes you uncomfortable, well, then it makes you uncomfortable. But to say this is racially insensitive, that's, I guess, where I, I think maybe that is an overreaction because I want to see what did the guy end up saying. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line jeff this is beyond ridiculous coaches are mentors ask him to refrain from quoting scripture but don't fire a person for putting good out into the world this is not racist um jeff trying to get through to a player um a black player by mentioning servant or slave is being insensitive to the player and his background yes she should be suspended well, okay, my question, that's what Robert Texter says. My question to that is, all right, if if the player, I don't know, goes to church, I mean, and the, the minister at the church in part of his sermon, you know, makes the same sort of point <clears throat> and cites this particular biblical passage, okay, is, is, the, is the minister, is the preacher, is, is he being racist? Again, if the point is... Here, you know, we are. We all have have authority figures that we have to listen to. So, I mean, I, I guess now are are we saying that okay, preachers can't use this particular passage anymore if there might be people of color that are in the audience? Don't you have to look at you know what what is going on here and what the point is that they are trying to make? Jeff, I weep for this generation. How pathetic and weak they have become. The worship of victimhood and outrage will be the downfall of this country. Well, I I just, I guess, I I mean, I I wonder, you know, how far you, you play this. You're talking about suspending or firing the coach because, again, he uses the word, the biblical reference to we are all, we are all servants. Well, you can't say that. Can't say that because, you know, somebody might be upset. Well, you know, we don't know this kid's background. I mean, I don't think the kid was a slave, but... At some point in time, don't you have to say we have to figure out what the context is? Jeff, the coach should have known better. If Texas Tech was a religious school, such as Marquette or Notre Dame or Xavier, this might fly. But at a public university, he should have known it would blow up. I I guess I I don't – see, I I don't buy it. It's either right or wrong. And I guess the underlying decision is, you know, is is citing a biblical verse in the context that this guy did – is that it, it would a reasonable person assume that is going to be, <clears throat> you know, a racist, a racist comment meant to, <clears throat> again, bring back uh, memories of, you know, the, of, of enslavement, you know, a couple hundred years ago. I guess that's what the question becomes. Is that something that a reasonable person would interpret um, that from? Jeff, in my experience, people who know scripture tend to quote it properly, and people who don't are offended out of discomfort. Um, yeah, um, what can you say? Jeff, I think the basketball player should have been made aware that this coach is highly religious and, and, if, and that if it works to play for him or not. Well, I don't think there's any secret about, about the, the coach's r- religious background. And I, I really, I mean, the issue with me is, again, how far do we take this? 
are there coaches that cross the line? Happens, you know, all the time. The other day, I was I was channel surfing. I saw on ESPN U they had the um, they were showing this thing they did on the last days of Bobby Knight. You know, back in the 1990s at Indiana, and you know how abusive he was towards players, and you know choking the particular player and things like that. And you go, wow. I mean, how how did they let him get away with that that long? And I kept thinking, man, we've really come so far from Bobby Knight and that kind of abusiveness to now, you know, you're, you're trying to coach a kid, you're trying to make the point that you need to listen more, but because you use the biblical reference, you end up, again, being suspended or, you know, losing your gig. Don't know how this is going to all play out at Texas Tech, but it's another one of these things where I, I if you are a coach, and my guess is when you think back on all the different things that, that coaches said to kids over the years that nobody would have thought anything about nobody would have tried to say oh you know this is obviously you know horrible and appalling in this case you got to even really think about what was it that he said that was offended and if the kid was offended that that is unfortunate but i think before you suspend the coach you find out what his intent was you understand what the context was and then when you understand that this really was not a racial reference but rather was a life reference maybe you just say okay why don't you two talk it out and let's move on but we don't do that anymore. Now, you want to be offended. Okay, so last night, Netflix aired live. A, a Chris Rock, Chris Rock was the guy that was slapped at, at, by Will Smith during the Oscars last year. So the, Netflix aired a, a quote-unquote comedy special featuring Chris Rock live. I did not watch it live, but it generated so much attention. I watched it th- this morning b- before the show, and it, it's about an hour long. And you want to be offended. I mean, you, you want you want to be offended whether you're well. It, it's pretty much he's pretty much offensive to just about everybody. You want to be offended? You just watch this Chris Chris Rock special. Now, I'm not necessarily encouraging that, um, and I understand Chris Rock is a comedian. He, he's not a basketball coach, but you know, in in the in the the first three minutes of the show. He's been more offensive to people all across the board than a reference to a, a scripture by a basketball coach would be. And Chris Rock's going to make a fortune of this. By the way, if you're wondering whether it's worth your time, I, I didn't find it that funny. I mean, was I, I wasn't offended by it, um, but I just didn't think it was that funny. The, the reviews are kind of really mixed on this. He waits till the end of the show to um, kind of talk about the, the whole Will Smith slap thing and stuff like that. that. The thing, if you watch the show, though, the thing that really strikes me again is just how dirty it is. I just It's one of the things that just drives me crazy about modern comedy, that you cannot do stand-up comedy without – the F word being every, you know, third word and the N word being every third word. All, all this just, I, I think, gratuitous uh, obscenity and stuff. It's like, man, you know, can't you just tell the jokes or set up the jokes without the constant reference to all the vulgarity? And I am not a prude. I mean, I'm not. You know, I, I get it. I understand that. But when every third word is that bad word, it just kind of becomes wearing on you. And I guess that was what my reaction was. So my advice would be don't waste your time. number of people weighing in on, on my, my comments on, on the Chris Rock show. Um, I, 
again, I, I watched it this morning because it was getting so much uh, attention because uh, of the things that he was saying about Will Smith and his wife. And he's making jokes about uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and things like that. And I just the, the overriding take of, of watching it for an hour. And I, I, I it's it's not it, it, clearly if you read some of the reviews, some people were offended because of if it's anti-woke take you know and the fact that there's no sacred cows that 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 wasn't that certainly wasn't me i mean my big beef was i I just didn't think it was that funny but on top of that i was again i'm put off by the fact that you have comedians who can't do shows without working completely and totally blue by blue i mean you know just every third word is a bad word i've told this story before a couple years ago um fran and i were in las vegas with my sister-in-law um, Ruthie and her, her cousin Ken, um, her husband Ken, cousin, her husband Ken, and, and we went to a comedy show, I think at the MGM or whatever, and it was just every third word from every one of the comedians was a bad word. And I, I understand if there's a, a purpose behind it, you know, and you need it to set up the joke or, or whatever, that, that's okay. But where it's just the filler, where some people say, um, somebody else throws in a four-letter word, after a while, it just you just become, at least I become, kind of numb to the whole thing. And it's like, oh, really? Can't you be funny with, without this? I, I want just one segment on this, because a number of people are reacting. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Is it unreasonable, I don't know, to expect modern comedians to be funny without having to be just relentlessly and gratuitously dirty? And, and that's my point. It's gratuitously dirty. It's not. It's not that you know you're you're using a bad word, you know, in a joke or something like this to set up the story or whatever. But it's the fact that you're just using it as that filler. And that's kind of what my objection is to me. That's the lazy person's you know way of trying to to be funny. And after a while, it doesn't become shocking. It just becomes. You know, boring. Oh, my gosh. I wish the guy could say something different than that. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I was going to attend the Tim Allen show until I found out you had to be over 18. I'm afraid to hear what that is all about. Jeff, I love the Chris Rock Netflix special. He attacked everyone. I thought it was very fair. I, I just, I guess I just didn't think it was that funny. But, again, my point is that the vulgarity just kind of, I thought, was overwhelmingly. Jeff, check out Nate Bagatz on Netflix, clean and hysterical. Uh, Jeff, for some great Kermit comedy without all the swearing, check out Kathleen Madigan. She has a new release on Amazon Prime. Um, Jeff, listen to Brian Reagan, totally clean and very funny. Somebody else says, have you uh, listened to Nate Bargatz? Very clean, funny comedian. No, I I haven't. But again, it's it's and and I almost feel embarrassed to like have this conversation because it's like, oh, okay, now you're sounding like the hey, you know, hey, kids, get out off my lawn. No, it's not that I, I think. I, vulgarity and bad language has a role in comedy. Oh, uh, I think, you know, I think back to some of the, you know, Richard Pryor, you know, when, when Richard Pryor was in his prime, you know, Red Fox w- was like that. These were comedians who worked very, very blue, but, but in general, their language and their use of bad language had a purpose, and that purpose was trying to, you know, 
make whatever point that they were trying to make. Mary in Fond du Lac. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. I agree with you. I mean, those kind of comedians that have to use those fillers every other every other word just isn't funny to me. There's a, um, a site, I'm sure it's on YouTube or whatever other social media, it's called Dry Bar Comedy. And these comedians are absolutely hysterical. They've got good content. They're, they're very current. But they don't swear. And they're, yeah. they're, they're hilarious. Uh, there was a time where I got some free tickets to go see a Lisa Lampanelli um, show, which I had no idea who she was. I just happened to yeah. get the tickets, and I was texting my kids saying, oh, you know, Dad and I are going to go see Lisa Lampanelli. And the, my kids were like, oh, my gosh, you think after 20 minutes, Jeff, we, my husband and I walked out. I just couldn't, I just couldn't take it. Yeah. But, yeah, because uh, it, it, wear, it wears you on you. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I get it, Mary. It just, it just kind of, it wears on, on you. And it's not, again, it's not being prudish. It's, it's like, I just object to, look, look, laziness. There, there are, I, I think it's just being lazy using that language as a crutch. There are, when I listen to, uh, talk radio, for example, as somebody who's done this, you know, full or part time for you know twenty eight years, I, I know there's certain things that some hosts do, which to me it's it's just it's kind of like lazy talk radio, and, and you can just tell that they're doing it because they don't want to put in the effort to try to come up with topics or, or whatever, and it just it kind of bothers me. It's just like okay, this is it's insulting what I do for a living. You know, this is being this is being lazy. That that's the thing with the comedians, and I appreciate. It. I was. I was, I, I like the, the show, the last live comedy show. Like I say, was this one that we saw at the MGM in uh, in Vegas a couple of years ago. I, I just, I, I, I would have walked out, except that would have taken too much effort. And I just, I was kind of uh, just intrigued about, you know, where is this going to go, and is this going to, you know, turn around? Jeff, look at the old classics on the Johnny Carson show. Those comedians were hysterical without the four letter words. Jerry in Brookfield says, I've seen Jerry Seinfeld. He's never been nasty. Um, Jeff, check out Tim Hawkins. He's hysterical. He's hilarious. No vulgarity. Uh, I was talking to the, about this with my friend Mike the other day. We were talking about Jeff Foxworthy. You know, if you saw Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy, and I, I, you know, it is like I, you might be a redneck type of thing. You know, it was... It, it you he was genuinely funny at least i thought it was genuinely funny and in general it was funny without being vulgar um david in milwaukee david you're on wtmj hey jeff i don't know if you remember the uh, red skeleton hour which was on for many years and sure. uh, his quote was i don't have to swear or be or vulgar to be funny and yeah. he was a great comedian so if you remember that that that's a quote that always stuck with me yeah, no, David, thanks for the call. A- absolutely. Um, Jeff, I will never forget Don Rickles doing comedy on the Dean Martin roast. There were never bad words. You know, now, Don Rickles, you know, he kind of was always sort of edgy sort of stuff, and I, I don't think Don Rickles' um, shtick would have necessarily translated very well into 2023 for a lot of different reasons. But, again, you could do that without the vulgarity. And, I, I'm, I mean, I don't want to get on my soapbox too much about this, and if you've got Netflix and you want to watch the Chris Rock show, that, that that's fine. And I'm just, I guess my overriding comment was that just the constant vulgarities and the gratuitous vulgarity, it made it difficult 
for for me to just sit through it was kind of like oh oh really okay there's that's how many times have we just used the f word in you know the uh, one paragraph and it's like really just just be funny without being vulgar and save the vulgarity for when it really helps should be funny all right when we come back who is that masked man stick around You know, we were talking during the break. You know, one of our texters was concerned. I'm not sure I want to go to the Tim Allen show. I, I've never seen Tim Allen live. I, I can't imagine that Tim Allen works especially blue, but I don't know. You know, you, you can never tell. Um, if you remember Bob Saget, the comedian who, who passed away last year, most people um, remember Bob Saget because he played he, he Full House. You know, he was the dad on Full House, and it was this really, like, wholesome sort of thing. And but Bob Saget was was first and foremost. He was a stand up comedian, and he was as dirty as they came. I mean, you know, you you go to I think a lot of people went to Bob Saget shows originally thinking, oh, I'm going to see the guy from Full House. Well, it was it was the guy who played the character on Full House, but you just didn't expect a lot of the jokes and a lot of the language because he worked really really blue, really really dirty. Um, I'm not I'm not sure that Tim Allen would be that guy. Okay, so here here is the story. New York City, just like many urban areas, including Milwaukee, has been beset with shoplifting. Huge problem. People coming into the stores and stealing stuff right and left. And they've had a huge problem with trying to catch the shoplifters and then subsequently punish them. So a number of stores throughout the, the New York City, they, they have cameras that are up there. And the cameras have this facial recognition technology. So you can go back, you know, and you can say, all right, let's see if we can identify who it was that that came into the store and started stealing. It's just it's an extra tool. These cameras and the facial recognition technology, it's an extra tool that the stores can use working with the police to try to catch particularly the multiple shoplifters. So that's what they're, they're looking for. Well, what's one way that you can undermine this facial recognition technology well you come in wearing masks and so what they found is there's a lot of people even though you're not required to wear your masks anymore because of covid a number of people who are how can i say this criminally inclined are going into these stores and they're wearing ski masks or they're wearing the big covid masks they're, they're masked as they go into the stores because they're trying to conceal their identity, all right? So the mayor, of all things, the mayor of New York, together with the police chief, are calling on all New York City shoppers to remove their face masks when entering the stores as a way to clamp down on shoplifters. And they are encouraging the store owners to post signs saying that people are not allowed to enter the store without taking their face mask off. And, and then, it, then what it says is, then, then once they get into the store, if they want to put the face mask back on, that, that's okay. But when you come into the stores, don't wear the face mask so you get caught at least initially on these cameras so you can be identified in the event that it turns out that you're one of these... Uh, thieves, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right. What do you think about this idea if a store were to say, okay, here's the deal. You know, when you enter the store, 
you must not have a mask on. No ski masks, no COVID masks, no no face masks. We want to be able to see your face. Now, again, if you want to put your ski mask back on once you get inside, if you want to put your mask back on side because in, once you're inside because you're more comfortable with that, that's fine. But we want, as a condition of you being able to come into the store, we want to be able to see your face so it gets caught on camera. If a store's got a camera system like that, would you object to that policy? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I wouldn't. Makes sense to me. Would it bother you? The mayor and the police chief in New York are saying this is what we got to do to combat shoplifting. Good idea, bad idea. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. So New York City is being overrun with shoplifting. The mayor and the police chief are saying to businesses, you should require customers, as a condition of coming into the store, they have to take off their mask. Or if they're wearing a ski mask, take that off. If they're wearing a, a face mask, take it off so they get caught on camera because they've got facial recognition technology. Once they get into the store, if they want to put the mask back on, that, that that's fine. But as a condition of entering the store, you have to be maskless. And therefore, you know, maybe you can get caught if you turn out to be a thief. Would you have a problem with this? 855-616-1620. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, Dave, absolutely I would not have a problem with that. If you don't like it, go shop elsewhere. But my question to you, uh, did you just happen to pick New York? Because everybody recognizes uh, New York. But you go to your Google machine right now, and you'll find out that Walmart is actually closing select stores for one reason and one reason only, and it's the topic that you topic that you brought up. The shoplifting. You're talking oh. about somebody with deep, yeah, deep pockets. Walmart closing stores for one reason and one reason only. Well, shoplifting. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, no. So, th- thanks for the call, Dave. I mean, we uh, no, we that we we discussed the, the Walmart on a um, hundred and third, and is it Capital that, that's closing? And while while they're not going into all the details, it, it, I think the logical assumption is that they've had a huge problem with, with theft, and that's one of the reasons Walmart closed. I picked New York because the story I'm looking at out of the New York Post talks about how I, I thought it was interesting that you've got both the mayor and the police chief who are now saying, here, your stores, we need your help. You want us to catch the shoplifters. You need to invoke these policies that say they have to be maskless entering the store. And if if somebody feels the need to put on a mask afterwards, that's fine. But once they've come into the store, um, the, the security camera will have an opportunity, in theory, to have gotten their face. So if they put on the mask later on, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, 103rd and Silver Spring, right. Um, Jeff, I would be totally in favor of that. Um, however, I can understand medical masks after a person has entered the store maskless. Um, why would someone need to wear a ski mask? Well, I guess it's it's cold, and so they're they're wearing the ski mask. And again, th- this they're not saying you can't wear a mask in the store. They're saying when you enter the store and you've got the cameras up there, you you have to be maskless at that point. Jeff, I would be absolutely okay with this. Back when they were required everywhere, I used to sometimes jokingly comment to people when we parked the car and put all our masks on that I felt we were about to rob the place if that tells you anything. Um, 
I think there's an element to that. Um, Jeff, I think removing your mask policy is a great idea, and I think hope that the people who are against this will you know, not be the protesters or the complainers when the store has to close because it can't make a profit like the Walmart you were talking about. It, it just, this to me, does show how kind of the worm is turned because we've now gone from everybody's got to wear a mask and you've got to wear a mask in the store to, well, if you come into the store wearing a mask, take it off when you first enter because we don't want this to be a cover for shoplifters. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Hey, just one quick kind of clarification because the way it's being reported, um, and we just had that on the news as well. Um, Mark Lazary is selling his share of of the bucks. He has about a twenty percent share of the bucks, maybe twenty five, whatever that number is. He, he's and I see I see the number that's thrown around like three point five billion. That he's not getting three point five billion. The, the way it works is that was the that's the value apparently that they agreed the bucks were worth, and so he's getting whatever his percentage is of that. So if he has a 20% interest, whatever the ultimate payoff is, that's based on, you know, the valuation of the whole franchise is being worth $300.5 billion, and his is 20% of that. So it's not like he's walking away with $3.5 billion. But still, it's a really, really nice payday. And I I know I've tried to make this point before. It's one of the reasons why I am not particularly sympathetic when – professional sports teams and the owners plead poverty oh we're a small market team we, we don't know where we're going to get the money for you know this or that or the other thing because the payoff always comes on on the back end in the case of of the bucks the ownership group and by the way i, I think they've they've done a great job they, they've invested money and they pay you know nasty luxury taxes to the nba and things like that but they've grown the value of the franchise so the the owners of the bucks after herb cole kicks in 100 million less than 10 years ago they, they buy it for 440 million dollars and, and now it's worth 3.5 billion that that's that's a huge that's a huge gain. I mean, the same thing is true for the, the brewers. I mean, the ownership group buys it for one number, and now the estimates are that the uh, brewers are worth like $1.2 billion. That's, that's where owners make their money. It's because the franchises almost always appreciate in value, and when you want to sell, that's where you cash out. So the fact that gee, we might have to spend some money to, I don't know, be competitive and hire this pitcher or that pitcher or sign so-and-so to a long-term contract. I, I'm not, and where are we going to get the money? Well, I'm not sympathetic to it. It's like saying, and the example I always give is, you buy a house for $250,000 and the, the value is appreciating dramatically and you're going to be able to sell it for a million when you get ready to sell it. Well, okay, yes, you're, you're going to have to, Put on a new roof if the roof starts leaking and stuff. That's just an investment that you have to make. But you're almost always going to get your money out of it. And when it comes to professional sports teams right now, who knows what the market will be years from now. But right now, it is a license to print money. So whenever I hear some sports owners say, well, I just, you know, I'm not sure we have enough money to do this or sign that. I, I just, I'm not sympathetic at all. Like I say, the payoff comes at the end of 
at the end of the rainbow when you get ready to sell. And as demonstrated with the Bucks, the more success you have by investing in the team, the more, uh, again, the value increases dramatically. So um, more, more power to Mark Lazary. And not objecting to people, you know, making money. What this means moving forward will be interesting to see because, you know, the Bucks are going to have to continue to invest a ton of money to make this continue to, uh, again, to, to re-sign their free agents and do what they've needed to do. And hopefully they'll continue to do it. Okay. I don't know how many of you have been following the story about what is going on in the town of Lac du Flambeau. Lac du Flambeau is in... Pretty extreme, it's Vilas County, which is a pretty extreme north-central Wisconsin. Picture, I don't know, you go to Wausau, and then, you know, you drive about two hours, and and you get to Vilas County. Go to Rhinelander, drive, you know, about 45 minutes, you get to to Vilas County. So this is way up in the north-central portion of the state. What's happened is... There is a large Indian reservation, the, the Lac de Flambeau Indian Reservation, and there's a they, they've got a they've got a casino that, that's up there that gets a lot of attention and stuff. Okay, within the reservation, as kind of a, a freak of history and geography, there is a small there are small portions of non I'm gonna try to explain as simply as I can, of non reservation land. So in like they're little like Islands of of non reservation land that belong to the town of 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 the town of Lac de Flambeau that are completely surrounded by the reservation. Okay, so what's happened is over the years there what what where they were called there were what they call easements. An easement is where somebody has a right to go over somebody else's property to get to their property. And um, it would be like, oh, I don't I mean, like, for example, in this particular case, the the homes that are located in the middle of the Indian reservation that aren't on Indian land, quote unquote, as the term is used in the federal government, they would have an easement. They had the right to travel across the reservation to get to the public roads. And it was a deal that was cut with the Lac de Flambeau tribe. Well, those easements have expired, and they're no longer in existence. So what's happened is the tribe has now decided we are not going to allow the people who are in these landlocked, non-tribal lands, we're not going to allow them to travel over the roads to that belong to us to get outside. So as a result, you have a number of the, these homeowners who are just, they, they can't use the roads. They, they can't get out. Now, what some of them are doing is they've been going across the water, you know, taking their snowmobiles and going across like the water, and, and then that's how they've been able to do the shopping. But pretty soon, if not already, the, the ice isn't going to support this, and you're going to be very limited as to how you're able to do that. Part of the problem has been that the people who purchased the homes that are on the reservation, they were never told by their title companies. You know, typically you, you buy it when you buy your house. 
one of the things that happens is you have a title search, right? Remember, if you've ever been to a closing, they do a title search to make sure that there's no restrictions or problems with transferring title. Well, a number of the title companies never caught on and never never notified the home buyers that there were these easements, that their right to travel across tribal land was based on 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 the easements, which could in fact expire. So these easements have now expired. There's negotiations going on with the tribe. Some people say that the tribe is essentially trying to hold these homeowners hostage by demanding just ridiculous amounts of money in exchange for you know giving the, the right for these homeowners to go over and, and get to their houses. Um, first of all, the tribe said it was asking for $10 million. Then after they put up the barricades, they doubled the proposed fee to $20 million. Um, and they're saying, well, look, this isn't our problem. You know, this is the problem of the title companies or it's a problem of the state or whatever. And we feel bad for the people. But this is our land and we should have the right to say that you cannot travel over it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. This is an absolute mess. And what's scary about this moving forward is that there, there might be other, you know, tribes across the country where you have people who, again, have homes within the boundaries of the reservation, but they're not technically what they call Indian land, who, you know, have these easements, and they might not know about them. So this could be more widespread than you think. 855-616-1620. It's really very, very unfortunate for the people who are caught up in this. The governors try to get involved. The legislatures try to get involved. The tribe says, hey, we're a sovereign nation, and we have the right to say who can come on our roads and who can't come on our roads. And in this particular case, we're not allowing the roads to be open. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. What are these people supposed to do? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, this is this is a, an interesting and it's a difficult situation because because people have purchased the, this land that is are like islands in the middle of of an of the Indian reservation. And what's happened is the Lac de Flambeau Indians are now saying, hey, look, we're, we are not going to allow the people that have homes in the middle of the reservation. The, the roads are controlled by the tribes. We are not going to allow the non-Indians to access the roads to get out. Uh, and previously there were what were called easements that were written in guaranteeing people who bought this property the, the right to, to get out. Those easements have expired. The tribe wants tens of millions of dollars to extend them so they're sort of holding the the they're holding the community hostage but meanwhile it's the landowners who are the, they're the ones who are, are getting really messed up over this now i say the f- phrase hold hostage but i mean even though this has been the arrangement for years and years there's it, there's nothing that forces i think the tribe to you know, renegotiate the easements. The biggest beef, I think, that a number of the landowners have who have now been caught up in this is that when they purchased the property, the title companies apparently didn't catch that there were these easements which were subject to expire. I, I think 
part of that, if I'm one of those landowners up there, part of this is a, a lawsuit against these title companies because the argument is no way I would have purchased this particular piece of property if I knew that there was a chance that the, the roads might essentially get shut down. 855-616-1620, one of our texters says, um, the roads are sure open to the casinos, though. Um, yeah, that's I, that's that's the element. Jeff, I hope the title insurance company starts some real punitive action against the tribe. Well, I think that the vice versa is it's the title companies who are, I think, liable. Jeff, the companies and title companies need to guarantee and back their work, don't they? That's half the reason you have title insurance, too, is to ensure the title was clear. Also, someone dropped the ball letting the easements expire. They have been negotiating for the better part of a decade to get this solved, and the tribe is now said, okay, we're, we're done with negotiating. We haven't been able to reach a settlement, so we're going to start barricading the roads. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, it's obvious that the Indians either want this land or they're looking for a payout. Um, most of these uh, reservations are government-funded, so maybe some of, that, some of those monies could be used to buying out the landowners and uh, compensate them for the land, and then they could move. Uh, thanks for the call, Mike. Well, that's, I mean, at some point in time, um, if, if it's not settled by the courts, and I don't know how this is going to be settled by the courts. I mean, some people are saying, well, you know, the fact that they've been able to use the roads means they should always be able to use the road. That's something that's called like a constructive easement. Well, the problem is, the, the authority to use these roads has been based on a, on a legal premise. So I, I'm not sure you can just move in and say to the Indian tribe, you you now have to open up the, the roads. And you can't necessarily force them to do that. Now, there is there is pressure that you could buy, bring, I think, on the tribe with regard to financial things and stuff like that. But that doesn't, at least in the short run, help the people who are trapped, essentially. And as soon as the ice um, you know, breaks, they're, unless they've got boats, they're not going to have any way to get to you know, shopping or things of the like. Jeff, we actually have friends who own a cabin that would be affected by this because they're surrounded by the reservation. They won't be going up there until late spring, but they are concerned. I think the Lac de Flambeau tribe should really rethink this decision. Their casino brings in a lot of revenue in that area. I would boycott it as well as many other people in that community. This might come back to bite them. Yeah, there's, um, for example, the there are different tribal businesses, whether it's it's grocery stores or the 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 business that provides propane and things like that that are patronized, and those are owned by tribal members. They're patronized by people who live in this little enclave we're talking about, and I think one of the things that they're talking about doing is hey we're we're you know if, if this is how you're going to treat us we're, we're never going to go back and spend money on this jeff it's a capitalist society buyer beware the tribe has all the rights in the world to do this well maybe i mean a court might actually make that determination i, I think i i don't claim to be an expert in what there's known as indian law uh, but I, they might make that determination, but that doesn't help the people who are, are trapped in there in the first place. And I guess this is one where it's just it's very disappointing that it's been allowed to get to this point. 
If you want to say the tribe is being greedy, you can say the tribe is being greedy. If you want to say the title insurers dropped the ball, that's fine. But the problem is you've got the poor homeowners, most of whom would have, I'm guessing, never, ever, ever purchased any of this property if they knew that there was a chance that they might not be able to use the roads to get across the Indian Reservation to get outside of the property and go to work and go to stores or whatever. So it's it's a mess don't know how it's going to be handled, but the sooner cooler heads prevail, they reach a settlement on what a reasonable amount of money is, and you open up the roads, the, the better that's going to be. I don't think anybody looks good in this particular situation, starting with the tribe, but certainly the, the homeowners out there, they're really the innocent victims of this. And this is one where Governor Evers got to get involved, I think, directly and figure out how to make this work. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I have I, I posted a, a listening to this story. Joe Biden knows that his student loan plan, that this plan to forgive billions and billions of dollars, is probably grossly unconstitutional and is going to go down in flames um, around the um, after the Supreme Court rules on this. So there's a big story, and I, I posted a link to this again on the Twitter account, saying, well, the, all these people in the Biden administration are trying to come up with a plan B. Once, once the Supreme Court strikes down the, the student loan uh a plan that he has, which to me is just nothing but a, a, a legalized voter bribery scheme. Once they strike it down, he needs to come up with a plan B. Well, at the risk of, of being overly simplistic, why don't you do what the Constitution says you're supposed to do? Get a law, draft a bill, present it to Congress, convince them that this is what the government should do, have Congress vote on it, and then sign it into law. Follow the Constitution. It's really, really simple. And trying to, instead of trying to figure out, well, I, I'm really frustrated by the fact that I can't, you know, shift tens of billions of dollars of taxpayer funding to again try to buy votes from a, for a certain group of people. Follow the Constitution. It's not that hard a concept. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Well, there you go. Judy Garland. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. All right. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to this story as it appears in the Business Journal. Our number, 855-616-1620. Here is the deal. The... Trolley the the hop and, and the thing that I've referred to as as Barrett's folly when Tom Barrett was the mayor this was going to be his signature idea we were going to have this 2.2 mile trolley line that ran from the Lower East Side and hooked up to the the bus and train depot that that was essentially it um, we referred to it essentially as a yuppie people mover that cost just a ton of money we built it. Originally, the proposal was going to be, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to use government money to build this, but it will be essentially self-sufficient. We're going to charge people money to ride the hop, uh, as it became known. Everybody knows that didn't happen. They've never, despite having all these ridership estimates that were based on, on people paying money, well, they, they never charged it because they admit that if they charged even a quarter to ride the thing, and it was supposed to be like a dollar or two bucks. Even if they charged a quarter, people wouldn't ride it. The, the only way they could get any ridership at all is to essentially make it, it free. 
So now you're in a situation where the city of Milwaukee has to reach into its budget, take things from other sources to use it to uh, sustain the hop. The thing gets even more messy because you can't really shut it down because as a condition of getting the federal money to put it up in the first place, you had to guarantee that you were going to operate it for a number of years. So it's just it's a mess, plain and simple. Now, there was another federal grant that kicked in that will have a spur of the hop that's going to run from essentially the bus and train station down to the lakefront, past the, with the Couture building. And that's supposed to, I think, open up sometime you know, later this year. But what city leaders, or at least some city leaders, have been trying to do is they want to expand it throughout the city. The argument is, yes, we know that not many people ride it, but the problem is not many people ride it because it doesn't go anywhere. So it's really kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Well, so this means if we spent tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, as the case might be, expanding it all over the city, we would see ridership, you know, increase dramatically. Well, maybe, you know, maybe not. But here's the latest story. Apparently, now Milwaukee officials, in an effort to try to get the dough to expand the hop, um, really kind of along 3rd Street and link the Wisconsin Center um, uh, to West Wisconsin Avenue and bring it closer to Fiserv and stuff. They have been applying for federal grants. They, they've done it four separate times and unsuccessful in all the occasions. The, the breaking news story is that Milwaukee officials apparently decided that, that the fifth time wasn't the charm. And after being turned down on four separate occasions, they made a decision that they weren't even going to apply for a $33 million federal grant to do this latest extension. Um, what they, they say, the statement is, learning from past attempts, the RAISE program, that's Rebuilding American Infrastructure, the RAISE program um, might not be the best approach. Our goal in targeting a grant for any city project or program is to ensure we can be the most competitive. Then what's also going on is you have a number of people in the business community who are saying to the city, look, you got to understand, this is a really, really sensitive issue because every time Milwaukee comes out to the state legislature and pleads poverty and says, well, we don't you know, have money to do this or that or the other thing, um, one of the issues that's always brought up is, well, Okay, you're still operating the hop, right? So you've got money to operate the hop that very few people are riding, and yet you don't have money to do these other things. So the the bottom line is because of this, city officials appear to have have pulled back, and there there might be some other grant programs that they can jump into trying to get money. But part of that is keep in mind they're already trying to get more grant money to build a quote unquote high speed bus line that would run centrally along 27th Street, connecting Oak Creek up to um, Bayshore Town Center. And that's a very, very expensive proposition as well. So if you're trying to get federal money for that, it's tough to also go in and say, you know, we want to build or extend the downtown streetcar. My take on all of this is that at least for the moment and for the foreseeable future, and maybe forever, expansion or any significant expansion of the streetcar beyond this little spur that they're putting in that's already in and, and paid for, I, I think 
it's pretty much dead in the water. I, I just don't see this happening. And I, again, it's evidence of that, the fact that, you know, the, the Milwaukee no longer and didn't even bother applying a fifth time to get this grant. That tells me that maybe, at least for the time being, the hop is going to be what the hop is, and it's not going to get expanded any further. 855-616-1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, if my analysis is correct, and we're not going to see tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars spent to expand the streetcar, what would your reaction to that be? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Well, Tom Barrett is long gone as the mayor, but his legacy lives on. In my opinion, the legacy is his failed streetcar system, the hop, um, that has never met ridership expectations if, as long as you put an asterisk in there, the ridership predictions were always based on people paying money to ride it. it, it it's still free, and it's the reason it's free is because they know that whatever the ridership they have is, it's going it would drop precipitously if you charged anything for it. So it continues to be free, and now is subsidized by the city of Milwaukee, something that wasn't supposed to happen at all. Well, if you're just tuning in, the, the sort of breaking news story is apparently the city has decided against requesting, uh, they've been turned down four times, but they've decided against putting in a fifth request to try to get federal money under the plan that allowed them to do the, the hop extension that's going to be running down to the lakefront. They, they've, they've just, I think, concluded that we're, we're not going to be able to get it. And they're saying, well, maybe there's some other sort of avenues, but many of those other grants would require them to essentially be competing against themselves because they're trying to get money to run a quote-unquote high-speed bus line from Oak Creek up to uh, Bayshore Town Center. And uh, some of those grants would be the same sort of grants that you'd be, uh, again, using to try to get hop money. And so if you have to make a decision, do you try to go with an expanded bus line or do you try to go with the streetcar? To me, it's just kind of the ultimate no-brainer. My takeaway on this is beyond the extension from the train station down to the lakefront that's already been built and is supposed to go into effect like in late October, I just I don't see this happening. I mean, I think at least for the moment, any sort of hop extension expansion beyond that connector is pretty much dead in the water. And I guess my response is, yeah, I mean, gee, who could have seen this coming? And, you know, why didn't we recognize, you know, why did everybody just say, okay, we, we've got to go back to, you know, 1925 technology and we've got to have a streetcar because, gee, they have a streetcar in, you know, Indianapolis or they've got a streetcar in Portland, Oregon or, or wherever without recognizing that this was never anything that we needed in Milwaukee in order to, uh, again, attract people or whatever. And if you were going to spend money on dealing with mass transit, expanding the bus lines would be so much greater. I just, I, I was reading over the other day just about how there's still, they'd like to try to get the county buses going back and taking people to Summerfest. They'd like to get the freeway flyers back, but they don't have the money to do it. They don't have the drivers to do it. I mean, before you think about putting one dime into an expansion of the streetcar, you should certainly get a viable bus system up and working. 855-616-1620. Jeff, my reaction to the story, 
When can we begin tearing up the rails? Jeff, last Friday, we sat and ate lunch at a window at the public market. The hop went by twice. Not one person was on it except the driver. It should only run May through October for tourists. I think it needs to go to the lakefront and to Fiserv. The problem is to run the hop to Fiserv, you're probably, I don't know, $50, $100 million? You know, maybe a little bit less, but I don't think so. So where are you going to get that money? And where this was always Barrett's argument. Well, we need to put more money into this. I understand that, you know, the ridership estimates are disappointing, but we need to put more money into it so it doesn't go anywhere. Well, okay, let's take a system that's, you know, failing and then let's throw more money at it, hoping that things are going to, you know, turn around. Jeff, my thought is to operate the system only as long as necessary to get out from federal obligations and to not extend the contracts for operation and maintenance beyond that time and then park the trains and abandon the system. Well, I think there's something to that. Jeff, I have to tell you that in my opinion, the hop has been such a money pit. I'm glad to hear they didn't apply for the other grant. Um, I just don't know where the city of Milwaukee comes up with this. Glad to hear it's not being extended. Jeff, what a great idea. It's a losing proposition in its current form, so let's expand it, throw more money at it. Is there any trolley car system in San Fr- other than San Francisco that actually works? Well, they, they do. In some cities, they have it and it works, but every city is different. And what I've been arguing for years is the population density in, in Milwaukee just doesn't support it. And I think I've been pretty much proven to be correct. You can still drive around Milwaukee relatively easily. You can still find parking relatively easily. You've got the alternatives of Uber and things like that. So there's no other than the people who live in the immediate downtown area who might want to, again, go go to the bars or whatever, There, there's no real need for this. So everything's close together and you can still move around. There might be some cities where that's just not the case. But even at that, you have to look and say, okay, how much is this going to really cost? How many people are we going to serve? And if you had this money that's available, what are the other mass transit things that we could do that would be serve perhaps a, a larger audience? And that's why the fixed trolleys have never, ever, ever, the fixed rail trolleys have never, ever, ever made any sort of sense to me. You know, rubber-tired buses, if you've got Summerfest that's going on and people want to come down to the lakefront, have the buses, add bus lines, get people down to the lakefront. I mean, the idea that we don't run the freeway flyers anymore, the idea that we don't run Summerfest specials anymore through the county transit system, that's just absolutely crazy to me. Those are where people want to go when they want to go, as opposed to having a a fixed rail system that makes circles and circles and circles carrying no passengers in January and February when there's essentially nobody out. There's nothing that they're going to. 855-616-1620. Jeff, thanks for bringing up the Summerfest buses. That made getting there and back a large pain in the butt. Um... Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's it. Let's see. Um, Jeff, can't we just decorate an idle bus to look like a trolley? Then people could go where they actually want to go. Well, no question about that at all. Look, the bottom line is, 
I, I know Tom Barrett would never admit that it was a failure. Tom Barrett will just admit that it was a failure of imagination and a willingness to follow through on the commitment. Bottom line is maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I don't think you should plan any more expansion of the hop beyond, again, that little spur that's already built to the lakefront, certainly for the foreseeable future and probably forever. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, This is a... If, if you are a fan, who's not a fan of music? I mean, we, we all like different genres and things like that, but um, we, we, music is one of the things that, that always kind of brings us together. Um, you, you might not recognize the name, but you'll recognize the band. Gary Rossington, who was a founding member of the rock band Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, passed away at, at the age of 71 over the weekend. It's kind of an interesting story because the, the way the way this band got started is these were all a bunch of guys who were, you know, playing baseball together in kind of like Jacksonville, Florida and things like that. And they were all they were all friends who, who met through high school or whatever and then started jamming together. And then it, it turned into, again, the band with Leonard Skinner that, you know, had, had so many of the hits, you know, the biggest one perhaps being Freebird, but, you know, that's a little bit argue, you know, arguable. And, and then it certainly was mired with tragedy. So Gary Rossington was one of the original, he was the, one of the original guitarists, one of the founding members. He was on the plane when when the plane went down, the plane that killed Ronnie Van Zant and a couple of the other band members, he survived the plane crash. He survived a, a major car wreck, um, you know, after after that. So a major car wreck. And then, you know, he, he walked away. He was one that survived the, the plane crash. He'd survived a couple different heart attacks as well. The guy, his health had sort of, you know, um, really kind of fallen apart over the years. But he passed away over the weekend. And I'm like, man, I mean, you want to tell talk about somebody who was able to kind of avoid bad results. And I, I've just got a link to the story if you follow me on Twitter. Car wrecks plane crashes, major health problems, you name it. Leonard Skinner's Gary Rossington survived them all uh, until he did, and that ended up happening over the weekend. So final founding member of the Leonard Skinner band, uh, Skinner band passed away over the weekend, and um, I think I think tonight I'm going to fire up some Skinner just in recognition um, of Gary Rossington. Sail on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. There is something that I do not understand about this next story that I I want to discuss with you. Once again, World of Sports. Friday night, uh, WIAA Division I Regional Semifinal Game, Beloit... The basketball team travels to play Muskego, Norway, in Muskego, Wisconsin. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think the game was a blowout. I, I think Beloit won like seventy-two. The number I saw was seventy-two to four, and I, I, I gotta believe I can't believe that that was actually the number. But it, it seems to be it was blowout. But here's the deal: the the Beloit basketball team is that they have they have a number of black players on there. 
and the Muskego Norway team does not. So here's apparently what happened. The game is played at Muskego Norway, and apparently this the description is that. And I'm I'm actually looking at one of the photographs of this now. In photos and videos, Muskego fans, who appeared to be all white students, can be seen wearing black tank top shirts, pajama pants, and ski masks. The fans were standing on the floor of the gym in a roped-off area while empty bleacher seats are seen behind them. Um, This is generally perceived as the kids are wearing what would be described as gangster or thug type of, of outfits. Now, I'm looking at a picture of this. And there, there's a handful of kids that are in pajama pants, and they're wearing, um, they're wearing like like jersey, like basketball jerseys. But there's a number of other kids who are wearing pajama pants, and they're just in again the um, black tank top shirts. A number of these kids have like ski masks on, and um, the pajama pants. Like I say, it clearly, if you look at this, it there's certainly I think there's certainly a reasonable inference that a number of these kids are dressed in their thug sort of outfits. Apparently what happened in addition to that is that as the kids were, for example, um, walking through the fans, some of the fans, these kids were making like monkey noises. Uh, one of the, the mothers said, what is, what is that noise that they are making? And they refused to answer. Apparently in the locker room, there were also alleged racial slurs that were written in dust um, on, on the lockers. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, so afterwards, uh, the, the athletic director at, at Beloit, you know, fi- files a complaint with this. I'm looking at the statement from the Muskego Norway School District. On Friday night, Muskego High School hosted a competition against Beloit Memorial High School. Following the game's conclusion, we received an email from the athletic director at Beloit Memorial indicating concerns regarding the theme of the student section and racist images traced in the dust on top of the gymnasium lockers. We were deeply disappointed and saddened by the information shared. Student safety is our number one priority. We work to ensure students have a positive and rewarding experience, blah de blah blah de blah We take these allegations very seriously and immediately begin the investigation with the support of the Muskego Police Department. The active investigation continues and includes working with Beloit administrators, etc. Consequences for inappropriate actions will be prompt. We apologize. Okay, this is not consistent with the values of Muskego High School or the Muskego Norway community. Okay, so that, that, that's all well and good. But here's what I don't get about this this story and that is where were the administrators when this was going on i mean where was this when they were were going on i there's obviously people taking pictures of these kids that are dressed in the kind of quote-unquote thug attire and that's i think that's that's sort of a fair statement that's there there's obviously school administrators that are are present in this situation. So I guess my question becomes, where where is the athletic director? Where are some of the teachers? Where are some of the grown-ups? When you see what's going on in the student section, where is somebody to walk over and say, you know, wait a second, you know, kids, what are you doing? Or better yet, 
get out of here. You know, this, you know, get out of here. We're not going to tolerate this. Because I just don't understand why there wasn't some sort of early intervention to avoid making this such a problem. Because it now is a problem. And like I say, if I'm looking at these pictures that parents took, you would think that there would be officials. You would think that there would be school officials, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody's saying Muskego won. Um, yeah, okay, Muskego uh, won the game on Friday night. Seems like uh, the WIAA or whoever reports those scores are already unf- unfairly punishing Muskego by posting that score. Yeah, when I looked at it, it was like some crazy score that had Beloit winning. Okay, Muskego wins. But I go back to my larger point, which is if this is going on in real time and the parents see it, and I, I'm not necessarily talking about you know what was scribbled in, in dust on, on the lockers and things like that. Maybe that's something that you don't find out till afterwards or whatever. But at the game, if you've got these students that are clearly behaving in an inappropriate fashion or are dressed in a way that reasonable people could say, hey, th- this is racist, what's going on there? Where are the school officials? Where are the WIAA officials? You know, where are the teachers? Why isn't somebody going over to these kids and saying, knock knock it off? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, unfortunately, turning a blind eye is a key component of institutionalized racism. Um, it sounds like they're taking this seriously, though, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it, it is a it is a good thing um, uh, about this. Um, Jeff, I don't buy any of it. This sounds like another stage stunt to create outrage over racism and make race, race relations seem a lot worse than they are. Well, you can say you don't buy it, but this is one where, like I said, I, I have in my hands a pick, an article out of the Beloit News, and I'm looking at a number of these kids who are in the pajama pants and are in the, uh, you know, in the the tank top shirts and they're wearing the ski masks. And my question is, if you're not trying to dress in thug attire, why are you wearing that particular outfit? And it's not everybody. It's not like it's hundreds, but it's, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. Why? Why aren't they there, um, you know, and why weren't they dealing with this? Um, Jeff, the gym was full of Muskego parents, Muskego police officers, and administrators, none of which described the events on the gym floor and in the stands the way that the parents across the floor were. Well, again, I'm looking at the pictures that they took. Um, Let's see. Uh, Jeff, uh, I think that this is going to turn out to be, you know, a complete non-story. Well, um, you know. Okay, could be. Jeff, you are absolutely right. The administrator should have pulled those students from the game immediately. Um, that's the that's the point there. Jeff, I'm from Muskego. I think there needs to be a very in-depth investigation into all of this. At the same time, something isn't passing the sniff test for me. Well, uh, that that could be. And I guess we'll we'll know more as time can tell. But like I say, I'm looking at the pictures. I see what the the com- criticism is. I see what the complaint was, and I don't understand for the life of me why some school officials didn't just go over there and immediately identify the one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven people that I'm watching wearing the ski masks that are standing there 
and the um, kind of pullover tank tops and the pajamas and say, okay, if you don't intend this to be racist, some people are going to perceive it. Get out of here. Go change your clothes. If they would have done that, that would have diffused at least some of this. But administrators didn't. Well, I guess we'll we'll have to sort this out. One of our texters said, Jeff, this wasn't thug attire. It was pajama pants. This was not the first time the theme was used. When we played Kettle Moraine last year, they used this theme, as weird as it is teenagers. It wasn't racist. The media is just manufacturing some unnecessary racist motives. And, and my question was, okay, it's not just pajama pants. They're wearing black ski masks and black tank tops. And the listener responds, no, they're, they're white tank tops. Well, no, at least not the ones that I'm looking at. There's, I've got the picture from the Beloit News in front of me, and there's a whole bunch of kids, pajama pants and the black tank tops and ski masks, black ski, black tank tops, black ski masks. So uh, it's it's a pajama-themed thing. Well, I don't know. I rarely wear pajamas and a black ski mask, but that's that's just me. So, um, you know, we'll have to discuss this as well jeff high schoolers go to school every day in pajama pants and wear blank black tank tops frequently too um my high school son wore pajama pants and a black sweatshirt to his high school basketball game in a neighboring district the kids coordinate goofy ass outfits to show their unity and spirit for the games okay maybe so my advice then moving forward would be Maybe you need to come up with like a different theme. And if it's pajama pants, um, you know, maybe you want to lose the black ski masks. I'm just saying. All right. There's a story. So when when I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I, I do is I, I turn on Good Morning America to hear the, the headlines. And the, the headline today was more of these stories about what's been happening in Atlanta. If you haven't been following the story in Atlanta, what they've done is they are in the process of building a, a new police center um, that's in the, it, it's an 85-acre complex, and it's in this, like, wooded area um, outside of Atlanta. And the blueprints for this complex, classrooms, an amphitheater, a driving course, a shooting range, police horse pasture land, et cetera. And, and they talk about it as kind of like a, a giant training center where they're going to teach people. It's very reminiscent, I, I think, in some respects of um, I- Quantico, Virginia, which is where the FBI Academy is. And, and back in another life, I used to go out there and teach classes there a number of years ago. And it's like this this mini city and they've got all this different areas and they've got these training academies and things like that it sounds to me like they are in the process of building what i would describe as something similar to the fbi training academy in quantico and they're building it in these woods in atlanta it is con- it has caught the attention of nationwide protesters it, generally it's it's these antifa folks and it, it's some of the real hardcore we hate the cops we are anarchists, that crowd, who have descended on Atlanta. And the idea is we, we hate the cops and we're pro-environmental and here, how dare you cut down some trees to build this training center. And there's been like a standoff that has been going on for months now. This story 
Um, it got some attention a couple months ago because what happened is you had one of these Antifa-type protesters who was menacing a police officer in to get him shot. And then afterwards, there were all these different protests in downtown Atlanta. And you might remember they ended up arresting five people, and it turned out that they were all from out of state. None of the people that are down there, or at least none of the people that were arrested, are, are people from, from Georgia. They're all people who just flocked from all over the country because they wanted to participate in this kind of protest. So what happened yesterday is hundreds of activists decided to breach the site yesterday and ended up burning police and construction vehicles and a trailer setting off fireworks towards officers station nearby the atlanta police department said 35 people had been detained at, at saying also that a number of these people were throwing large rocks bricks and molotov cocktails and again this is on the second day of what is supposed to be a week-long series of demonstrations to protest the building of this this police training complex okay here here's the bottom line of all this this and this shows what happens when you allow these outside agitators to just clearly take over things these have been troublemakers from the beginning these are anarchists these are people who are just simply flocking to Atlanta like all the crazies just circling a drain and going down the drain because this is the place where they want to choose to fight the battle and and you've seen this with more aggressive tactics and you saw this when you had people storming the things last night and destroying property and throwing Molotov cocktails at some point in time it seems to me you have to say enough is enough. And to me, it's very, very clear that these various protesters who are camped out in these woods and stuff, they're, they're up to no good. They intend to escalate things. And, you know, now you're causing property damage. People are going to get hurt. People might get killed. So it's way past time to say, okay, kids, you've, you've had your fun. And now it's time to move on and find, you know, whatever your next thing is that you're going to protest. So they say 35 people have been detained. Um, They say actions like this are not going to be tolerated. Well, you know, no kidding. But the problem is they have tolerated it for months. And so what happens when you do that is the Antifa, the outside agitators, the anarchists, when you tolerate their misbehavior, when you tolerate their illegal activities, we shouldn't be surprised that they're going to escalate those illegal activities. So I think this is this is sort of, I, I think, the if, if you needed a last straw, what happened in Atlanta last night should be the last straw, and maybe it's time to just do whatever you need to do, move in authorities, move in people, start making arrests, clear out the folks that are there and get on with the construction of the building as opposed to allowing, in this case, a law enforcement center to be held hostage by the crazies. It's not too much to expect. That's, of course, Leonard Skinner and founding member Gary Rossington passing away. um, He's He passed away at the age of 71. It's really a sad story, but he's a guy who walked away from a plane crash, walked away from a major car wreck. Wow. Hey, a little bit of an interesting kind of behind-the-scenes note. Starting um, today, actually, we've got a a new uh, sort of podcast 
platform. And um, I know a number of people listen to the shows in real time, and we love it. But I also know that there's a number of people who go out and they, you know, you you listen to the podcast whenever you get a chance to do it. And I always appreciate that. Well, now you can find The Wagner Show on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts. So it's going to be very, very cool. Um, so all you have to do is, again, you can get our podcast and each of the pages through the drop-down menu on WTMJ.com, but also, again, doesn't make any difference. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, you can now take me on the road with you, and I appreciate that very, very much. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us. So, I, I got a link to this story. O- over the weekend, um, in Virginia, they, they had CPAC. That's the Conservative Political Action Conference. And historically, CPAC, I mean, it started off as a place where conservatives and leaders of the conservative movement would go and they would discuss policy and things like that. And, and then it sort of morphed, and for a while it became, okay, this is going to be where, you know, the conservative candidates are going to come and they're going to address CPAC, and they used to always have a straw poll and things like that. And then around 2016, CPAC started becoming dominated by the, the Trump forces in the Republican Party. And since 2016, it's really turned into kind of a MAGA love fest. That, that's it. And it was held over the weekend. Donald Trump attended he gave a a two-hour speech i watched portions of it can't watch it all i watched portions of it and i I think it is fair to say that in this kind of two-hour two-hour speech um he, he spent the vast majority of it not really talking about the future but rehashing old grievances and and trying to settle scores at one point in time he says the Republicans are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Carl Rove, and, and Jeb Bush. I guess I sent out a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And my take was, in other words, we're never going back to the days when Republicans won elections and weren't wasn't a, a the GOP wasn't a cult of personality. Well, okay, there, there's about there were about two thousand people or so who attended some or all of, of CPAC. And when they do this straw poll, it's unscientific, but Trump pulls in like 70% of of the vote of the people who attend this. Ron DeSantis comes in second with, with 20%. DeSantis didn't go there this year. He has in the past. Um, Nikki Haley, who is running for president, you know, she showed up and she was heckled by by the crowd who kept screaming, we want Trump, we want Trump, while she was giving her presentation. And so, you know, the the takes of this after the weekend's event is that, you know, Trump clearly still has a a segment of, of support in the Republican Party that is very, very vocal and very, very dedicated. The question is how, while that support is very deep among the, the, the Trumpers, the question becomes, how wide is that? And I, over the weekend, I've had a chance to kind of hang out with a couple of my friends who are very active in Republican politics in, in Wisconsin. And, you know, one of the questions I've been asking them as sounding boards has been, what, what are you hearing? I mean, what are you hearing from the big donors? What are you hearing from the rank and file? 
And the, the message that I'm hearing constantly is kind of the message that I'm talking about on the radio, that I, while Trump has hardcore support, the vast majority of both the donor class and the voter class is ready to move on from Donald Trump. Some people acknowledging that they think he did great things as the president, but are tired of the as president, but are tired of chaos, are tired of January sixth, are tired of the constant. We want to rehash the election that we claim was stolen, even though there's no evidence of it. Some people are in that category. Others are in the category of we're just tired of all the drama, and others are more pragmatic, saying, you know. Donald Trump will be slaughtered if he runs for president. Donald Trump, who lost to Joe Biden in 2020 and has alienated a lot of people since then, simply cannot win. So there's all different reasons. But I'm just hearing from lots and lots of people, like at various levels, saying pretty much everybody is ready to move on from Donald Trump. Now, again, if you were in this room with the 2,000 people, um, you know, cheering him wildly, you wouldn't get that impression. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Are Republicans ready to move on from Donald Trump? My answer is, I think so, and I hope so. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, so CPAC is over the weekend. It, it, it is a Donald uh, Trump love fest. He gives this two-hour rambling sort of speech where he kind of airs old grievances, goes after Paul Ryan, you know, goes after Karl Rove. We're not going to be the party of Jeb Bush, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Continues to talk about how the 2020 election was stolen, all this type of stuff. And, you know, he overwhelmingly wins their straw poll. And some people are interpreting this as, oh, Trump is back. Now, see, I don't think so. I think this is Trump has a, a admittedly a bunch of people who are just deep, deep, deep support for him. But I don't think that support is that wide. It might be deep, but I don't think it's necessarily that wide. And I think you're going to see that as time moves on. I think there's probably potentially five serious candidates for the Republican nomination. Trump, obviously, he's running. Uh, DeSantis is going to get in. Nikki Haley, who was heckled by the people at this conference. They heckled Nikki Haley. Give me a break. Um, Mike Pence, if he chooses to run, and um, I would add Tim Scott in there, although I'm not sure Tim Scott's it's his time, but he, he would be a great candidate, the the black senator from um, South Carolina. 855-616-1620. Is it time for Trump to disappear? Let's uh, start with Julie in Kenosha. Hi, Julie. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think of this? Well, I I think that Trump's time is over. Um, I think you put it very eloquently when you said his support might be deep, but it's it's not wide. Um, I was telling your screener, I always have conversations with um, my friends who are of the Democratic uh, Party mindset, and I, I say, let's think about the conservatives that we've had over the years that might surprise you. The conservatives of of Fred Rogers, of of Caitlyn Jenner, uh, Ben Carson, Justice Scalia, Condoleezza Rice, 
um, Buzz Aldrin. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Yeah. I think Ronald we're Reagan. ready for a new... <laughs> we're, yeah, Ronald yeah. Reagan. We're ready yeah. for a new face. Uh, someone who uh, can have a conversation without offending a majority of Americans. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think... And, and until... Until Republicans collectively are, are ready to accept that, they're, go- they're going to lose elections because Trump is jo- – and you, I can say this without any comment on whether people think he was the greatest president or the worst president, but he is so polarizing. He didn't win last time. He's got less chance of winning this time. To nominate him would be electoral suicide, period. And I just you, – you'd hate to see the Republican Party go down that route. Absolutely. And we have to get smart and figure out how to not have him on the ticket, because I think it would actually be a benefit for the Democratic Party if he's on the ticket. I really do. No, thanks to call, Julia. Well, I, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, Democrats are Democrats are just chomping at the bit. They are salivating over the prospect that Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee. He lost he lost to Biden in 2020. What has happened that makes people think they're more likely to vote for him? Oh, because of the January 6th stuff? Because, you know, a number of his endorsed candidates end up getting crushed at the polls? No, it's time for the Republicans to move on. And, you know, that's, I guess it's what's so frustrating about, I understand why DeSantis didn't go to CPAC this time. DeSantis, I mean, he would have gotten the Nikki Haley thing. Nikki Haley is a conservative. She's a solid conservative. But because she's not Donald Trump, and this has become this this cult that's out there, you know, she ends up getting heckled. I mean, seriously, give me a break. Jeff, Trump is getting to be like the Michael Myers in the Halloween films. He just won't die. The RNC in Milwaukee is going to be drama-filled, especially if he isn't the front-runner then. Well, I'm on record as saying I, I don't think he gets the nomination and if the polling turns badly and he starts losing a couple of these primaries, I, I, I'm not even sure he makes it to the primary season. Um, Jeff, Trump has not won the popular vote in the last two elections. So if you want another Democrat in, then vote for Trump. I'm not going to vote for Trump ever. I will look over the new candidates for the Republican Party. Um, Jeff, it's not the time for Trump to disappear. It's time for him to go to jail for witness tampering, bank fraud, insurance fraud, and so on. It was interesting. He declared over the weekend that he doesn't care whether he's under indictment or not. He's still, he's not going to drop out. Um, we'll see if that ultimately happens. Jeff, Trump needs to, Trump needs to disappear. I am a conservative. We need to move on. Sam says, Jeff, Trump is a boat anchor for the Republican Party, but he has a cult-like following, which will make it tough in the primaries. The Republicans need to take a page out of the Democrats' book and align behind a candidate early, push everyone else out like they did to ensure Bernie didn't get the nomination. Yeah, if you will remember, I mean, that's what happened... That's what happened in the run-up to the 2020 election. I mean, Biden Biden did horribly in Iowa. Biden did horribly in New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders was starting to get momentum, and what happened is the Democrats coalesced and said, coalesced and said well, Bernie Sanders is not going to be elected president, so what we need to do is we need to unite behind another candidate. People got behind Biden in South Carolina, and then he ended up you know, running the the table. Jeff, I voted for Trump both times. It is time for him to go. That that is what I am hearing from 
people over and over and over again. Now, you don't necessarily get that take if you just, again, watch the news and you see, oh, the crowd at CPAC went wild. Well, the CPAC people are, it's become kind of a cult, and it's been that cult of personality. That doesn't win elections, though. Jeff Paul Ryan has publicly stated he will not attend the convention in Milwaukee if Trump is the presumptive nominee. Well, I I understand um, that. Jeff, this is great. Time to sunset the guy. He's the greatest con man that needs to be placed behind bars so he doesn't further divide the nation. Well, I don't. I'm not advocating that, and I've never advocated that. But I am of the opinion that it's important for him to move on. Jeff, I was a Trump supporter. I think that some voter irregularities in Wisconsin might have swayed the vote, voting boxes, etc. But that was then, and this is now. Donald needs to stay in West Palm Beach and take care of his own business. Well, I think that's it. Jeff, I would like to move on from Trump, but a couple of the latest polls showed him beating Biden if they go to head and head. I would still vote for Trump over anybody the Democrats pick up. Mike, my point is be very cautious with some of those, those different types of polls. And uh, I think, you know, this is one where you've got to look at electability. And my question, I guess, becomes if if he failed in 2018 to, you know, carry various state offices in Congress and he failed in 2020 and he failed in 2022, what, what do we think is going to be different in 2024? Jeff, do you think the fact that DeSantis hasn't officially announced yet and wasn't in attendance has anything to do with the poll numbers? Well, I don't, maybe the fact that he hasn't announced yet, but no, the, the people that showed up at, at CPAC were clearly the hardcore Trump supporters. And there are hardcore Trump supporters that are out there. And the, the trick and the finesse that needs to be done is you need to convince these hardcore supporters that when Trump doesn't win, that they don't just take their ball and go home, and yet they come on and they support whoever the Republican nominee ends up being. I mean, and that's that's the, the tricky problem that is out there. Um, um, what can you say? Um, let's see. I'm not for Trump any longer for a lot of the reasons you stated, but I don't think using the cult description is correct. Well, if if you saw like the stuff that was being sold and the merchandise and you saw the way things were going at CPAC, I don't think it's unfair to say that what you had was kind of a cult that is going on there. In any event, this is what you've got going on here. Um, Trump is apparently not going away anytime soon, at least at least until the run-up to the primaries. But if he's not getting the money, and right now he's not getting the money, we'll see how long he ends up staying in.